I have a uh, confession to make. Uh, it's been about a year, and I probably should have confessed to this uh, a long time ago. Uh, you know, I am your pastor, and so I, I got to kind of model public confession. And so um, uh, last year at this time, here, here it is, you just need to know. Uh, last year at this time, I told my kids uh, we'd get a pet. A cat or a dog, but since cats aren't really pets, I said a dog. <laughs> Amen by myself, yeah. Uh, and, and so I had this confession is that here's what I told my kids. In, in a moment of weakness, I said, hey, we'll get a pet for Christmas. And I, I even uh, came close to just picking one up on the way home, but I knew my wife would freak out about that. My son then comes to me uh, this last week, no lie, Ryder comes up to me and, and says, Dad, you said last Christmas we're going to get a pet. <laughs> we're at next Christmas, Dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Why don't you go talk to your mom? Why don't you go talk to your mom about that? That's... Now, here, here's, here's what's important. Here's something that we all know to be true. We all experience. We all see it. This is nothing new. But here's, here's just one of those truisms of life. What you say reveals much about you, but what you do reveals most. What you say, the words you say reveal much about who you are, but, but what you do, the way you live, reveals the very most about you. And, and here's just by the way, you know why we haven't gotten a dog in the last year? You know what it reveals about me? I hate poop. <laughs> I love my backyard, and I don't want to walk out there and step in poop. It's like one of my weird fears. I'm a germaphobe, and I hate poop and dog poop and cleaning it up, and I just don't want to deal with that, and I don't think my kids will pick it up, and I'm just afraid our backyard's going to turn into one big poop pile, you know? A again, amen by myself. <laughs> See, but here's what we have to understand, though, because this is, this, this is so important. And as we close this series, Between Two Storms, what we have to get is it's way more than what we say. It, it's what we do that matters. See, it, it's really important what we say. But what we do reveals what's most important, regardless of what we say. Now, let's just think about this as a church, okay? We say we want to be a church that is radically generous and giving away, but it doesn't matter if we say that if we're not generous, that serves this campus, but if we're not serving, if we're not getting out there, it doesn't matter what we say if we don't do it. We say we want to be a church that awakens this generation to new life, that loves our neighbors radically, that gets after and says, you know what, we're not going to be a church about us for and no more. We're going to be a church about those who aren't here yet. Come on, are you with me this morning? Okay, come on. But it doesn't matter if we just say that. See, what, what you say, it, it, it reveals much about you, but what you do reveals the most. 
No. The same is true when we come to Jesus. It's not enough for us to simply take Jesus as a good teacher. We have to look at what he did and what it says about him, what it reveals about him. And in the passage as we close here, he's going to do something that's going to be this big reveal to his disciples. And, and by the way, they miss it. But when you're looking at or when you're investigating Jesus, you can't just look at his teachings, although they're great and they're awesome. You have to look at what did he do? Did he back up what he said he was about? And that's what we're going to look at today. And if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter 6, verse 45. And we're closing out this series, Between Two Storms. And we've been journeying through the book of Mark, and this section is literally between two storms. The first storm, Jesus is asleep in the boat. They wake him up. He calms the storm, and his disciples ask this big question. It's the question at the heart of the entire book of Mark. It's the question that he's answering. And Mark, by the way, answers the question not by what he says. You go to Matthew and you'll get all the sayings or all the teachings of uh, Jesus. Mark answers it by what Jesus did. And you just see throughout the book of Mark this doing, this moving, this doing of Mark on the move. Jesus is in action. And so we have this, Jesus calms the storm and they ask, well, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? And then they go on to the other side, and there's this demoniac possessed, and Jesus heals him. And immediately they, the crowd and the town's terrified of him. And you see that then he goes and he raises a dead girl back to life, and, and this sick woman, bleeding woman, healed. He sends his disciples then to go do what he did, and, and then he just feeds 5,000 people. 5,000 men, really, probably households, most scholars believe, anywhere between 15 and 25,000 people in that moment. And yet, and yet, he has one thing that he says, I want you guys, when you ask that question, who am I? I could tell you, but let me show you who I am, and it will make all the difference. Here it is, verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made, and literally that word made means force. So remember the context, feeding of the 5,000. Now here's what's happening. John, the Gospel of John, gives us a little insight of what's happening. After the feeding of the 5,000, there's this, uh, the people were looking for a new hope, someone who would lead them uh, to overthrow the oppressive regime of Rome. And, and they're looking for what they called a Messiah, this anointed one, this person who would be like a king, like the ancient King David in their history and who would be a prophet like their prophet Moses. And when they saw this amazing uh, miracle, it reminded them of Moses. And Moses did some things in the wilderness with the people where he brought uh, manna from heaven. God brought manna from heaven. They said, okay, we're going to, and the gospel writer of John, he says, the people tried to make Jesus king. 
And so he immediately says, okay, guys, one, this is not my time. And he gets his disciples onto the boat to get them out of that revolutionary mindset because he doesn't want them to miss this point. It isn't about God sending a man to do a, a political movement. He's going, it's way, way bigger and way more important. So immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida. Now Bethsaida and the Sea of Galilee where they're at, it's just a couple miles northeast of where he's at. I mean, this is a short journey. They had been, you know, on this desert deserted area. It's dark. It's late at night. And he says, you know what? Just maybe, maybe even an hour away by boat, max. And, and he's like, just go over here, and I'm going to meet you there. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Verse 47. Later that night, the boat, now notice this, the boat was in the middle of the lake. They got blown way off course. Supposed to be a short little trip. They're just going to go cut across. It's not a big deal. And all of a sudden, they are way off course in the middle of the lake. And he was alone on land. Verse 48. He saw the disciples straining, struggling with all their might at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was walking, walking on the lake. You know, so oftentimes we see Jesus do these miracles, and it's actually uh, prophets of old who did all these miracles. And, and so you can attribute it to there's so the power of God that resides in you. He wants to do things through you. But there's certain times when, when Jesus shows up, and he just wants to reveal himself, and that, that he's more than a miracle man. He is God himself. And so he treads where only God can walk on the water. And if you remember, if you remember when we talked back at the very beginning, the the sea or the ocean in the ancient Near East cultures was, was the place of evil, the place of uncontrolled chaos, that they were deeply afraid of this place, especially at night, and, and God is treading where only God can tread, and they see him, and they don't get it, and, they, and he says it was about to pass by them. Circle that phrase, pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost, they thought he was, you know, maybe even a sea demon. They were freaked. I mean, c- come on. You, you, you're, we all would be, right? You're chilling. You're struggling. It's been a bad night. I mean, just think about it. It's been a really bad night. You're just supposed to go up to Bethsaida. You're going to have just this kind of uh, get a night in, maybe hopefully sleep in. And all of a sudden, the wind comes against you. You get blown to the middle of the lake. You're like, great. Jesus told us to do one thing, and we screwed that up. Great. We're in the middle of the freaking lake, and what do we do? And all of a sudden, someone, Peter's going like, dude, dude, <clears throat> what? No, just, just look. What? Pete, come on. And Pete's always the loud mouth. You're like, come on, dude. Just look. You know, and, and, and they look and they see this figure walking on the lake. Now, it wasn't just like one of them. It wasn't just like Pete going, dude, guys, I saw something crazy. No, you didn't. Notice what the text says. They cried out because they all saw him. Simon, dude, Simon, Andrew, yeah, James, John, are you kidding me? What is that? I don't know, but I think it means we're going to die. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage. Have courage. I I love one translation says it this way. Take heart. 
And then he says this phrase, it is I. Circle that word, it is the Greek phrase, ego and me. It is in the translation, the Septuagint, the, the translation of the Old Testament in the Greek, that is the God's covenant name, I am. It's this great revelation of Jesus to his disciples. Take courage, the I am, the God of the universe is with you. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them. The wind died down. They were completely amazed for, for, for Jesus was amazing. And they were all struck. I love it. The gospel writer Mark, who uh, is getting his information from the disciple Peter, uh, he, he's, he's hanging in with Peter, and Peter's, like, he, his commentary on the situation of he and his buds in the boat and what they saw, he, he's so honest. He, he says, they're completely amazed, awestruck, dumbfounded, taken back. For they didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't understand what Jesus was up to and all the other miracles. Their hearts were hardened. What you say reveals much about you, but what you do reveals the most. And, and I believe in this passage, there's, there's really three areas that, that I, I think God wants to speak to. There's some things that this passage reveals about Jesus that, that I believe he just wants to speak to you about who he is and what he's all about, but it also reveals some stuff about us. And then it reveals something deeply profound about who God is. Uh, well, let's first look. What does it reveal about Jesus? And, and we, I had you circle that word, pass by them, in the text. Isn't that strange? I mean, you just think about it, and his disciples are chilling. They're struggling in the middle of the lake, and Jesus sees them. He walks out to them, and then it says in the phrase, he goes past by them. I mean, what was he doing? Is he on his way somewhere? He's going like, hey, I have, you know, this town that you're going to now. They've got great falafels. I'm going to beat you there and go get me a snack. I don't know. You, you know, I mean, is that what's going on here? Or could it be something deeper? Etched in their mind was the feeding of the 5,000 and this idea of, of Moses, this leader who brought Israel out of bondage from Egypt. And they're thinking and pondering and they're misunderstanding the feeding of the loaves of like, hey, we got this new prophet and God wants to say, or Jesus wants to say, no, 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 this is so much bigger, so much deeper than that. See, this is the exact same phrase that we find in Exodus 33. It's the exact same phrase that when Moses asked God, show me your glory. Would you reveal to me who you are? I'm following you and I'm supposed to lead these people, but I want to know who I'm following. Would you show me your glory? And that word glory, kabod, literally means weight. Show me the weight of who you are. Show me who you are. And we see this phrase three times. Listen to what it says, Moses, uh, Moses 33, Exodus 33. Says, uh, Moses says, now show me your glory. I want to see you, God. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness, now what does it say? To pass in front of you. And I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I am in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. He is creator God. His glory is so immense and so intense that were we to sit under it, it would crush us. Because he is God and we are not. 
says, you can't see me fully. And so he says, then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory, notice that, passes by, I will put you in the cleft in the rock and cover you with my hands until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you'll see my back. And literally that word back, it can be translated a couple different ways. One way to translate it is the place where I just was. When I remove my hand, you'll get to see where I just was. That's as close to me, as close as you can see me. It's the place where I just was. But my face must not be seen. And in this moment, out on the water, in the waves, and the disciples are struggling, Mark intentionally inserts this phrase for us to realize something deep was happening and profound happening here that this was a revelation not of Jesus the man, this was a revelation of Jesus God. That in Jesus, the fullness of God comes into focus. You're not quite getting it. Okay. Okay. When you look at Jesus, you see God. It's not just like a good man. He, like we talked three weeks ago, the God man. Now, no, no, this is so important. Because if you ever wondered how God would respond to your hurt and your pain, look in the pages and how Jesus responds to hurt and pain. That's how God responds. Do you want to know how God responds uh, to the brokenness and where you're at Look at Jesus. When you see Jesus, he says, the fullness. In fact, John, when he would be talking about this, he would say, the fullness of God is on display in Jesus. When you see Jesus, you see God, and in him, you get to see how he responds to you. Go, well, how, did, how would he respond to some religious uptight people who think they have it all figured out? Not very well. See, when you see Jesus, you see the heartbeat of God, don't you? He says, I came to seek and save that which is lost. My heart breaks. When you you realize that when God visits the planet, he didn't hang out with all the right people, but he pursued all the wrong people. When when God visited the planet, the people who who are not like him liked him. That's what God does when he shows up on the face of the planet. And what Jesus was trying to reveal to his disciples is this is so much more than a miracle man. This is God in flesh, incarnate, inhabiting space, time, and history to produce and bring about his purpose. What does it reveal about Jesus? It reveals that in Jesus, the fullness of God what was hidden, what we couldn't see, what Moses, the friend of God, tried to behold and yet was hidden is now in focus. Well, then it reveals something about us, though. What what it reveals about us is our greatest barrier to God, our greatest barrier to wholeness, our greatest barrier to healing and help and life then is actually the condition of our heart. 
The disciples out in the storm. You get this, the guys who were closest to him didn't recognize him. And the reason for it, Peter, he says, it was because of my heart. And the greatest barrier in our life to experiencing God, to experiencing life, to experience wholeness is the very condition of my heart. And here's what we try to do. Here's what we try to do. We try to solve internal problems with physical solutions. See, you, you understand that the greatest barrier in your life is in, is in wholeness is, man, I long for peace. And so you try to find peace and financial security, and you just achieve and attain and get after it. You, you understand that, that the greatest need of your soul is you long for hope. And so you try to find hope in your family. And you put all kinds of weight and pressure and all this kind of stuff. And you just try to make everything look really good. This is the greatest barrier for you to experience wholeness in your life is the condition of your heart. What's the condition of your heart? Now, and let me, let me just say this, okay? If, if those in the boat with Jesus could miss it, could it be there are some who've been in the boat with Jesus and have been missing it? And let me say that gently. Could it be that maybe you have a hard heart and you feel like you arrived, but you've been missing Jesus? You don't realize, hey, Jesus is your buddy, Jesus is your friend, but he is God, Worthy of worship and praise. And that whole idea of Savior reminds you that you need saving. And the reality that he is Lord means that he is master. And when we call him Lord, we surrender our whole life. And there's plenty of people who call themselves Christians but do not follow Jesus. And it starts right here. See, the reason God visited the planet wasn't to start a political revolution, but was to do a heart revolution. The prophet Ezekiel said it this way, so powerful, because if it's true, I need a heart transplant. I need something to change on the inside. I can't solve my internal problem with external solutions. I need an, an internal solution. Listen to this, Ezekiel 11. He says, I will give you an undivided heart, a whole heart. Put a new spirit in them. I'll remove from them their heart of stone, their hard heart, and give them a beating heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people, and I will be their God. See, what Jesus in this moment is trying to reveal to his disciples is I came for something way bigger than external stuff. I came to meet the greatest need on the face of the human planet, and that is right in here in the cavity of your chest, your heart. And until that changes, everything else doesn't make sense. And until you get to the point where you realize, I got a heart condition that needs uh, uh, Jesus to come and give me a new heart, it doesn't make sense, and it won't work. And no matter, uh, no amount of external pursuits will ever fix it period. 
See, what it reveals about Jesus, in Jesus, the fullness of God comes into focus. What it reveals about us is our greatest barrier to wholeness in life is the condition of my heart. Now, don't miss this. Because what it reveals about God, if it's true, if it's true, when you look at Jesus, when I look at Jesus, when we see Jesus, we see God, and we see how he responds. I, I, I've missed this. I've read this passage so many times. It wasn't until Friday that I finally saw this, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Don't miss this. Because some in this room, you're like going, man, I am in the middle of a boat, and I am blown way off course, and my life is chaos, and it feels like everything's falling apart, and I've tried to fix it all on my own, and it's not worked at all, and I just feel stuck. Hopeless. Helpless. Yeah, I, I realize I got a heart condition. I realize there's something. I don't know what to do. And God, God's far from me, and I'm far from God. Do you see this? I love this. God doesn't wait for you to get to him. But he goes to you. Do you see that? You just notice that the disciples are blown way off course. I mean, they were just supposed to go. They actually end up in Gesineret, which, I mean, ends up being, they're supposed to go northeast. They end up southwest, way off course when they landed and you don't have a God, by the way, that says, okay, when you get it right, then you can come to me and we can talk about this heart thing. Fix some stuff and then let's talk. <laughs> I can't believe you ended up all the way down there. Are you kidding me? I mean, I just gave you one simple thing to do and you blew it. You have a God that sees you in your need, in your pain, in the midst of where you're at, and he doesn't hold his arms tightly, but he walks towards you, towards where you're at. He doesn't wait for you to get to him, but he goes to you. That is the type of God that you have. That is why it is so important that we understand back of what he was revealing in the fullness, uh, uh, in Jesus, the fullness of God is revealed, because if it's true, then you have a God who pursues you, who loves you right where you're at and moves towards you, not a distant, aloof God who's waiting on you to finally get your act together. I, I love this verse. I, I use, I, we talked about it, I think, a few weeks ago. I, it's one of my favorite. Romans 5, 6 or 8 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But, 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 God demonstrates. Remember that? God showed. God did. It's not so much what you say, but what you do that makes all the difference. God demonstrates his own love for us. His love. How will the God of the universe demonstrate his love, his compassion, his kindness, his care for you? While we're yet sinners, while we were yet far from God, 
Christ died for you. See, the truth of the matter is, is even when you feel far from God, God is not far from you. And God demonstrates His love to give His Son. Think about this, come on. I remember the first time my, uh, I became a dad. <laughs> I mean, my wife had 18 hours of labor, and it was back labor, and it was really painful, and I remember saying this line, no lie, uh, because I was, I was like, I get into coach mode, right? I'm like, all right, all right, you can do it, and I'm like, man, my back really hurts. <laughs> Wrong thing to say to a, a woman giving, giving birth, by the way. Um, but then Ella was born, and in that moment, something happened that I, I, you could have told me about, and I wouldn't have believed you, and I wouldn't have got. In that moment, I held my daughter, and I had no idea I had this capacity to love, a depth for a human being that, that existed that was way beyond what I ever knew was capable. I didn't know that existed and then I, it was, another thing happened to me uh, was that our life completely transformed. It wasn't like she was an addition to our life. It changed our entire life. And for this little itty-bitty being, I would give my life for in a heartbeat and still would for all three of my kids. <laughs> and if I had to choose, by the way, just, uh, let's just get all on the same page. If I had to choose... And to save your life or one of my kids' life, you lose. <laughs> Every time. Every time. I would never, 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 never give, give up my kids' life for yours. And I like some of you even, you know? <laughs> but God demonstrates his own love. That what I would never be willing to do, he does for you because he loves you. He sent his son to die in your place so that you could have a new heart and experience new life. See, in Jesus, the fullness of God is revealed. What it reveals about us, we have a heart condition. And it will never be fixed by all the external stuff that you're pursuing. And you have a God who's pursued you right where you're at, all the way to the cross, so that you might have life. And as we close, I just want to offer a simple invitation because the big reveal, the big reveal is that God loves you and does and did whatever it took to be with you. He sent his son in your place. And, and I just want to invite you, if you're here this morning and you've never stepped into that relationship, you need a heart condition transplant, that I would invite you, would you just give your life to Jesus? Would you respond? Would you step and go, I've been trying to fix my internal problems with external solutions. God, I invite you in to do the work in me. Give me an undivided heart. Give me a new spirit. And so I'm just simply gonna pray, and if you can bring the lights down and the band come up, and if you've never given your life to Christ, 
Would you just pray after me? God, I, I desperately need you. I've been trying to fix my life from the outside in, and yet you want to do something from the inside out. Today, I give you my life. Would you give me a new heart? I believe Jesus died in my place and came back to life that I might have life. Today, I make you Lord. I give you all of my life. Would you come in and make me new? And then there's some, to be honest, you've been in the Jesus camp, but you've been doing your own thing and you're in the boat and you, if Jesus showed up, you wouldn't recognize him. And there's a hardness of heart And there's an invitation for you where you just go today, okay, God, it's a surrender move. I've I've asked you to be Savior, but I've not asked you to be Lord. Have your way. Have your way. You show me what to do, and I'll do it. And you invite Jesus in. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you for our time. Thank you that you have not left us, but you love us all the way to the cross. May we be a people whose lives reveal that by not only what we say, but what we do. In Jesus' name, amen.